The new mouthpiece of the Houston Astros appears to be Hall of Famer Jeff Bagwell. He gave us updates on Michael Brantley, Yuli Gurriel, which we will discuss next. What will he say next? Well, I'd like to thank you, tell you to sit back and enjoy episode seven of Stone Cold Strohs right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Strohs. I'm Brandon Strange. I'm joined by SportsMap.com's editor, Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at JoshJordan975. And SportsMap Houston senior content contributor, Charlie Palillo. You can follow him at Palillo. Guys, welcome in. Don't know whether it's lucky episode number seven, but let's give it a shot. That has yet to be determined. So guys, I teased it in the open. Jeff Bagwell met with the media Saturday from Astros FanFest where he addressed a number of topics ranging from updates on Yuli Brantley and the GM search. So let's start with Yuli in uh, his future or lack thereof with the Astros. Bagwell told the media, he says, there's nobody that loves Yuli more than us. It's just trying to find the right fit. He's a huge part of our success here. So we'll continue to monitor that situation. But then later that day, uh, Mark Feinsand of MLB.com reported that Yuli Gurriel appears to be moving towards a deal with the Marlins. Sources tell me and Brian McTaggart nothing finalized. Uh, we all presumed this was the eventuality for Yuli, and I love the idea of retaining him on the team uh, because of what he's meant to the team, but it's just really not practical considering the price tag that he'll command with the limited role that they'd have for him. Chandler Rome also reported that Sources with knowledge of the situation said that uh, they're more interested in a guy like David Hensley getting those utility reps, which is understandable, younger and cheaper. When Bagwell says that uh, they're going to monitor the situation, does this mean they're just going to watch from a distance as he signs with another team? I think it's making nice. Boy, Bags sure seems to be having fun playing with the the toy Jim Crane gave him for Christmas. eh? Um, The lead spokesperson at FanFest. About 35,000 people showing up for that, by the way, on Saturday. It's good to be the Kings. Um, I mean, Bagwell's not going to say, well, Yuli was washed up last season. We signed Jose Abreu. Where would be the playing time? If he's going to be a utility guy, he can't play any shortstop. Not of consequence. The Astros have moved on from greater players. There will always be the memories, but it's time. And Yuli can't find good regular playing time anywhere so he goes to baseball siberia with the marlins which is close to cuba and he can have a little following there and maybe the marlins will sell a few dozen extra tickets the astros moved on from greater players each of the last three off seasons you'll be welcome back with thunderous ovations and when they do 10-year reunions and 20-year reunions of whichever world series champs uh he'll be a, a very popular guest but uh, as, as Fletch said, as, as one of the great lines in that movie, consider this case closed. <laughs> this one's kind of interesting for me because we did a sports map video about it last week, uh, John Granado and myself. And the video is about how Yuli's not following the Astros on Instagram anymore. He's now following the Miami Marlins. We made a lot out of that, especially in this day and age when you see that type of stuff. So I was kind of curious. So I went to Yuli's Instagram today. He is no longer following the Marlins. He hasn't started following the Astros again, but I find that interesting because uh, Bob Nightingale in his article where he covered a lot of things, he talked about Yuli and said that that the Astros offered him a contract to bring him back in a reserve role, but sounds like Yuli wants to be a full-time player. But we also heard reports out of Miami he wouldn't necessarily 
be a full-time player there. So I'm not quite sure where Yuli lands because we've heard these Miami reports for days and days and days, and now he's not following them anymore. Um, I'm curious to see if that's where he eventually lands. Maybe someone said, Yuli, the train is on the track to get you to Miami, but it's not in the tunnel yet to go following and, and making uh, eyes uh, at your prospective new employer, not yet your actual new employer. Breakups can be hard. So if Yuli's feelings were hurt, and so that's why he stopped following the Astros, or the case is closed, the door, the door is shut, uh, so be it, you move on. But uh, as I said, no team covets Yuli Gurriel at this point. He's 38 years old. He was awful last season. Fortunately for the Astros, he had a couple of real strong moments in the postseason, but that doesn't override six months of, well, stink, basically, as an offensive player, certainly. And he turns 39 years old during the course of, of next season. And, you know, where would be the at-bats here? Okay, injuries could happen. Or if Jose Abreu tumbles over the hill the way Yuli did last year, uh-oh, because he's on the hook for the Astros for three years at $19.5 million per. Uh, but David Hensley offers more positional versatility. The Astros aren't counting on David Hensley as a, as a regular in their lineup hope for the future. And he's already uh, on the backside of his 20s, right? He's not some hot rising prospect. He had 30 really good at-bats uh, with the Astros late last season. But for the construct of this roster – and for financial flexibility during the course of the season. If something goes wrong or an injury issue or you want to fortify in a particular area, you know, you only played for $7 million. Well, would you pay him half that to come back or pay David Hensley about one-fifth of that one-half that you'd pay Yuli if $3.5 million would get it done? Um, so it's, it's just, just time for both parties. It's not personal. It's business. And one of the good things is we've actually seen David Hensley on one of the biggest stages actually take really competent major league at bats. And so the anti-Uli. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He didn't hit and he doesn't walk. Yeah. And he's he's younger and cheaper, as you alluded to. And that's that's really the important thing here. And as much as I love Yuli, and I'd love to see Yuli be, you know, play an ambassador role here. But as much as I love, that's just not practical. When he does his best LeBron impression, and if he does take his talents to Miami, just keep in mind that that's a much lighter bag than when he arrived in Houston from Cuba originally. So, but Charlie, when you ask where the ABs come from for Yuli, that's an interesting question because it does roll into our next update because Michael Brantley was someone who was asked about at FanFest and Dusty Baker and Jeff Bagwell kind of gave a uh, little dissimilar updates. Dusty Baker says he wasn't sure if Brantley is hitting yet and whether he'll be ready on opening day. Uh, Baker said he's going to treat Brantley like Kawhi Leonard, welcoming him back when he's ready to go so he can carry the team. Bagwell, on the other hand, uh, this was you can tell by the timestamps here just a few minutes later, Bagwell said he expects Brantley back uh, to be ready on opening day. In my opinion, that's not necessarily misalignment. I read that as just their best guesses since the dude literally hasn't swung a bat since last year. But since everybody seems to be taking their best guess at this, let's partake in that. How confident are we that Brantley will be able to contribute this season and how do we feel about him getting the Kawhi treatment? Well, uh, he's nowhere near as important, obviously, to the Astros as Kawhi Leonard is to the Clippers or was to the Raptors or was to the Spurs. And Michael Brantley turns 36 years old in May or June, wherever his, wherever his birthday falls. And he's about the seventh most important bat in their lineup. 
right, as you project for the season. So that was a bit uh, hyperbolic from from Dusty. But, hey, he's a World Series winning manager, you can pretty much say, and do whatever he wants about now. Uh, Bags made an encouraging, hopeful point that, hey, it's the non-throwing shoulder. So as long as he's able to swing the bat effectively. But tying it also to bag arithmetic, if Jordan's to play 45 to 50% of the snaps in left field, well, that leaves 50 to 55% of the snaps in left field for someone else. And Michael Brantley presumably would be asked to fill those uh, as part of his uh, DH job sharing responsibility. So yes or no, is Michael Brantley on the Astros active roster opening day? I will say maybe. Nah, that's waffling. I will say no because they have no need to rush him, buy a little time, and who doesn't want a few more playing appearances from Maurice Dubon in early April? <laughs> well, if anybody knows about shoulder injuries, I would say Dr. Bagwell would definitely qualify yep. uh, in this instance for sure. I mean, he's going to give you the hopeful look at it. And what we were told is Brantley was hoping to be swinging the bat by mid-January. I mean, what are we on the 23rd now? So, And Dusty said he he wasn't sure if Brantley had been swinging the bat. So he could have been. It's just maybe Dusty's not aware of it. It's, you know, it's the offseason. So I'm cautiously optimistic that, that he'll be ready to go. So, yeah, I, I think Brantley would be good to go. But I do think the, the resting him, the Kawhi stuff, I think they're going to baby that shoulder. So somebody's going to get some at-bats. We've talked about this on the podcast. So especially in that DH spot, I think we see a lot of Jordan early in the year. Well, I mean, Brantley's not much against left-handed pitching to begin with. So, you know, it'd be a platoon role, maybe a platoon plus role uh, if he's healthy, right? They wouldn't be expecting him to play 150 games under any circumstances. One mile downer in the mix, there's no one who's going to be counted on to really push hard in spring training. But if there was to be a wow story, a guy forcing his way onto the big league roster and earning playing time, Pedro Leon, uh, who's been a mixed bag of results and now health again, a hernia surgery, sports hernia surgery. So uh, he's going to be sidelined well into spring training, presumably taking him out of that mix. So uh, maybe this is the, uh, the call from the governor for clemency for Jake Myers' chance to make the major league roster as an extra outfield at bat. And as we've covered here previously, uh, unfortunately, he's not a left-handed hitter because then he makes sense as a companion to Chaz McCormick. Uh, but Myers is certainly a guy who can play both left and center field if you're looking to shield Brantley from getting out in the field with that uh, sore shoulder, even if he can swing the bat. Well, the way the Astros have played coy with their injuries and their injuries updates I don't read anything into this um, because remember how the team said they were confident Brantley would make his return before the postseason last year. And then that was right before season ending surgery. Uh, so what, what I read into this is his contract though. Jim Crane does not suffer nostalgia or loyalty. Uh, he's not giving a $12 million contract for Brantley to be a team ambassador or a hype guy from the dugout. Him making it back for the beginning of the season would be sweet. I don't necessarily feel confident he'll be swinging a bat for anything other than BP on opening day. Uh, the decision will be made by Dusty and the GM, whoever that may be. You know, we just have to understand that they won a World Series without him on this team, and they have upgraded at first base. And so if they are able to bring back Michael Brantley in a meaningful role, that is a plus. And so, again, that'll be the decision of Dusty and whoever that GM is. 
a maybe, which is another update we received over the weekend. Baggy told the media when, when asked about the GM vacancy, he said, we're running pretty smoothly with the way things are right now, but we do need a GM and we'll have one. And then coincidentally, the next day, Sunday, uh, Bob Nightingale as part of his update in his column said, Dana Brown, Atlanta's vice president of scouting, has emerged as the clear front runner to become the Astros' next general manager. Considering the three candidates that were reported, Brown was clearly the more intriguing. So it's not a surprise to hear that he's risen to the top. On the other hand, I'd say three interviews isn't exactly an exhaustive search. Are you guys worried about the fact they've only interviewed these three guys? No, um, because you can consider many more, but winnow that list down to three. And if you really like one of the three, uh, one thing I aired on uh, last week, Dana Brown's a little older than I was thinking. He's 55. But so what? Uh, you're not asking him to play shortstop. You're asking him to find a future shortstop. And just the pedigree uh, out of the Atlanta Braves system, before that, his time in Toronto linked on both occasions to Alex Anthopoulos, the current Braves GM. Uh, other than not being a GM yet, I think it's hard to find someone more qualified and credentialed. The old saw, how do you get experience? So someone gives you experience. Right. And let's throw this in. I don't think it's a guiding principle for Jim Crane's uh, thoughts on the hire. Major League Baseball continues to have a, a miserable record uh, with African-Americans in leadership positions, just a couple field managers. Ken Williams with the White Sox is their president of baseball operations. But nominally, there are currently zero uh, black general managers in Major League Baseball. So while for the Astros, it's hire the best guy. And as you're looking to uh, reconstruct, refortify, get to a next level of stoutness with your player development system, Dana Brown checks every box there. From the Major League Baseball executive suite, it would be, ooh, great hire, Astros. If you're still in our crosshairs, uh, this will undo that a little bit because, well, it removes at least a little bit of the stain from our industry record. Yeah, no doubt. I, I like him as a candidate, and I wonder how the the balance of power will go now with the Astros. You know, we think about the the mile straw trade, and and they had they wanted to basically get him off the roster so that Dusty couldn't start him every day in center field. They wanted to get some other reps out there, and to make that happen was to get him off the team, and that was something that James Click did. Turned out to be a great trade. They got John Diaz out of it and got Phil Maton, and it accomplished your goal of, of getting some more reps in center field for some other guys. So I wonder, I wonder if Dusty, you know, we saw towards the end of the year, he started kind of winning that that power balance between him and click at the end of the year click is now gone clearly dusty won that i wonder with the new gm if the dynamic will still be the same or if dusty's going to have a little more pull going forward at least while he's still the manager and uh that's something i'm going to be watching very closely you know we the batting lineups were a big thing that we talked about last year when you'd see guys like dubon hitting in the two hole on certain days you know, I wonder if a new GM will also have issues with that or if now Dusty's a made man. And after that World Series, you can't really come and tell him anything. That'll be that'll be interesting to watch. It's a good question, though. Dusty is still a short timer. Hey, maybe he winds up managing until he's 80, but he's not buying green bananas. Right. He's going year to year. Uh, he hasn't objected to Jim Crane going with him year to year. But I really think the, the core of the new GM's job is going to be player development and uh, renewal of the farm system over the next two to five years, uh, getting the Astros back to where they're still picking low in the draft every year, but they are back to having their 
full complement of picks. And so they don't want to have a, a bottom 10 farm system two, three years from now. I think Crane is established. First off, he's the owner. He's going to be involved in every mega dollar decision from Verlander to Jordan to going forward, Kyle Tucker perspective extension, Alex Bregman, Jose Altuve, both up, up in two years. Whoever the general manager is, he's not going to have unilateral control over the, the payroll and the 26-man the roster in, in, in that sense. So uh, I, I think uh, you know, Jim Crane's voice is heard on, on every major trade or charting the course, right? The, the suggestion that he didn't think Jim Click was aggressive enough going after the big moves uh, in trades. Um, so if you're Dana Brown, what kind of control do you demand with the position because his status quo is really good uh, with the Braves, but that status quo doesn't include what typically would be a general manager's salary. Well, how's that measured versus Jim Crane's general manager's salaries post Jeff Luno? Obviously, Click was not in that realm. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a Dana Brown call. If he's offered the job, he doesn't have to accept it. Uh, he'll probably have a, another opportunity come come along. But there are only 30 of them, and you know, saying an opportunity missed is an opportunity lost. There's no guarantee that he gets a, a future general manager opportunity. I would find it tough to turn one down from one of the best organizations in baseball, the reigning World Series champs, unless you're thinking all I can do in the public perception or owner's perception is, is screw it up. We're not winning or going to the World Series on a regular basis over my next two, three years, even if I'm doing a nice job redeveloping the farm system. Jay Roberts messages is here and says do you think dusty has been involved in the gm process i, I assume he means in the gm selection process and i think absolutely i think dusty's going to have a say in that room i think jeff bagwell's going to have a say in that room and i think there's going to be a few other people that jim crane considers confidants that are going to be uh, in those discussions and to your point we shouldn't discount the decision making of, of Jim. And that, that's something we, whenever we get in the weeds about this, about the impacts of any single decision, I always default to Jim Crane is the catalyst of the Astros. Yes, Jeff Luna helped build a juggernaut, but left to his own devices, it wouldn't have been a juggernaut with Justin Verlander or Zach Grinke. And the world didn't end when Jeff Luna got fired. The bullpen actually got better and the Astros went to two more World Series and won one. So, to paraphrase the UPS slogan, what can Brown do for you? Well, he can start with restocking the pond down in the farm system because that seems to be the more pressing needs. And to your point, don't screw it up at the major league level because the roster to this point is pretty well built. I can't resist uh, what can Brown do for you restocking the pond. That was very coy. I, <laughs> yeah, that was terrible, terrible dad humor. And All so, right, Josh, it's up to you to either come in over the top or just say, let's move on. <laughs> I'll go with the latter. I got nothing. Yeah, don't don't uh, lower yourself to my level. But speaking of Jeff Lunell, speaking of the sign ceiling scandal, MLB's uh, Hall of Fame vote is uh, Tuesday. And as you noted in uh, your article on sportsmap.com, Charlie, former Astros closer Billy Wagner needs a miracle to get in. Another guy whose eligibility begins is former Astros player and Yankees broadcaster, Carlos Beltran. Beltran was seemingly back blackballed from the game after the results of the Astros investigation were revealed. And uh, Bob Nightingale is taking the advocacy role for Beltran. He published a column over the weekend in saying that the scandal should not be held against him. And I want to share an excerpt from that 
Uh, are we going to do the same with everyone who played for the Red Sox and Yankees during those years too, when they were fined and disciplined for illegal use of Apple watches and dugout phones to relay signs? Should we hold that against future Hall of Famer Justin Verlander, who obviously didn't benefit from the sign stealing as a pitcher, but didn't tell his teammates to stop it enough already? So I got to say, that is, that's pretty much a stark contrast from some of the narratives that we've seen regarding the Astros sign stealing scandal. Is this a foreshadowing of a change of that national narrative regarding the Astros scandal? Well, Beltran's not going to be elected tomorrow. That's perfectly clear. The guy who's uh, for years now done the uh, vote tracking. Uh, Beltran's in the mid 50s percentile. You need 75% thumbs up votes on, on ballots that are submitted. But if you get more than half the vote in your first year of eligibility, historically, it means you're a lock to ultimately make the Hall of Fame. I remember Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens started nowhere near 50. Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez. So for Beltran to come in solidly above the 50-50 point, uh, that indicates that for all the sturm and drang and vitriol and, and hatred directed the, the Astros' way, uh, among, among the, the, the voting sector, it's not thought of as the, the high crime as uh, willfully using PEDs. So um, Beltran, I think if there'd been no attachment, and I mean, let's call a spade a spade, he was one of the driving forces behind what the Astros did, which helped or did not help to whatever extent beat the Yankees. Well, who threw Beltran the life raft when the Mets fired him as, as manager? The Yankees. So yep. maybe it's forgive to an extent, never forget, or forget to some extent. Uh, if there'd never been any sign-stealing stuff with Beltran involved, might he be a first-ballot electee? I think it would have been close. Um, I think ultimately he passes the, the smell test for the Hall of Fame. I, I think he's a, a fairly uh, dead-even comp to Andre Dawson, who had to wait for a while but then ultimately did get in. Uh, Beltran was a true five-tool player. There are plenty of Hall of Famers who were not. Beltran absolutely was over the span of his career. I mean, let's not confuse him with the Willie Mazes and, and Mickey Mantles and Ken Griffey Juniors, but uh, a fabulous player for a very long time who I think all arrows point toward his ultimately getting to the Hall of Fame with the vote that he is going to get when the numbers are released tomorrow. I, I certainly appreciate Bob Nightingale being a little more fair you know, bringing up the the Yankees' involvement in the scandal, the Red Sox. But I have to say, if he wasn't defending a New York guy like Beltron, would he be saying this? You know, I, I'm curious about that because I have a couple excerpts from his article here. And one of the quotes, Beltron's wrongdoing was helping develop a system which center field camera intercepted the opposing catcher's signals, yada, yada. We all know that, right? And then it says, really, it was just Beltron trying to help his teammates. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, yeah, that because, you know, he makes the point of how bad Beltron was that year and he retired the season after that. And then he says, besides, he was not the he was not the Astros manager who could have stopped it. Not the bench coach, not the GM, not even the groundskeeper. But you just said that he was the one that developed the system. But then but then you're going to turn around and say, but he's not the manager, so he couldn't help him stop it. I just kind of think you're talking out of both sides of your mouth here. You know, he needs to be accountable. If you're going to hold the Astros accountable, you need to hold Beltron accountable. So I don't know. It's nice to see, but I'm not so sure that everybody's kind of over the Astros yet. I, I think this is 
only part of the story here. It's an individual vote matter. Nightingale's one voter. So who knows who measures how strongly each factor. Uh, I am not a voter, but my position on all this stuff has long been infamy is a subset of fame. So I'd have no problem with Pete Rose being in the Hall of Fame. And you include on the plaque, he was a dirtbag and a moron and a felon and got himself banned from baseball. But 4,256 hits happened and a bunch of World Series appearances and wins happened. It's all part of the story. Um, so in Beltran's case, he's not a no-brainer slam dunk, you know, walks with the gods Hall of Famer. So plenty of voters who vote no on Beltran might just decide on the baseball merits, at least that he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer. But again, if he gets more than 50% of the vote, that augurs very well for him ultimately going in. And how will that possibly impact um, other Astros uh, right. over over the long term? Hold that is, thought. It, is it viewed as a separate <laughs> column in, in disqualifiers versus the PED stuff? Yeah. And and to your point, it's it's a Hall of Fame, not a Hall of Righteousness. So the standards of, of measurement are different. And I'd, I'd go a step further. I... I'm more forgiving of the PED stuff too, because not not necessarily that I don't think that shouldn't prevent your entry. What I think is it's tough to discern who gets in and out based on that because of the lack of empirical evidence from guys who look, there's some people, some Astros maybe that used that got in the hall of fame. Maybe we don't know. There's some, circumstantial evidence that might lead one to believe that I'm certainly not throwing around an accusation. I'm just saying I wouldn't be the first person to bring that up. So we're letting people in or, and not in based on, you know, what we think happened and some evidence based in the Balco case or whatever the case may be. So some of the best players in the game are not in right now, whether it's Roger Clemens or Barry Bonds because of either suspicion or because of circumstantial evidence uh, of their use of PEDs. And there are some guys that may be in, maybe, I don't know, but maybe in that just were able to avoid any sort of incriminating evidence. So I think it's a really tough bar to hold people to on that. I follow when it comes back to this in particular, when it comes back to sign stealing, I have the same thought as Josh in that I I find it interesting that it's a New York guy who is who the first question gets raised for does this guy get in? You talked about Charlie him being thrown a lifeline first by New York, but I'd say Boston threw Alex Cora a lifeline because when with Nightingale saying a you know a bitch coach could have stopped it, well a bench coach was there as a part of it, and Alex Cora. And was implicated and was also implicated in 2018 in uh, in Boston. No one's really and granted. Alex Cora is not going to go into the Hall of Fame or not be a candidate for that. But there's been a discrepancy between the scrutiny that the Astros receive and then the everybody else uh, air quotes when it's well, everybody's but but not to the extent the Astros. This is the first time that we've seen a national columnist, at least in my recollection, national columnist come forward and say. Everybody was doing it. Beltron, who basically is charged with inventing the system or bringing the system to Houston, and they're saying not that big a deal. Boy, that is a sea change from the national narrative. And Charlie, you brought up a very, very, very important point. Can we read anything into Beltron's candidacy from this? Can we project onto future Astros? And obviously the one in the crosshairs would be Altuve, 
if Beltron is able to get into the Hall of Fame, and then Altuve subsequently has the numbers. If Beltron gets in, is it all systems go for Altuve? Yep. Um, because Beltron was basically a washed up player when he was a driving force in the system. Altuve was the MVP of the league and has remained an elite player for the bulk of the time since then. And anyone can choose to believe what he or she chooses to believe. But there's certainly a critical mass of belief that, hey, Altuve didn't even use the system. He was the guy saying, don't tell me. I don't want to know. Now, that's different from saying, guys, you're cheating. You shouldn't do it either. But specifically to Altuve, if Beltran makes it into the Hall of Fame, uh, and unless Altuve falls off the the table here pretty quickly, uh, I think Altuve is going to be regarded as a greater second baseman in the history of the game than Beltran is a center fielder. Right? Mm. There, there are tiers of Hall of Famers. Um, so, yes, that Beltran is getting an early substantial positive return, not nearly enough to get into the Hall of Fame, but again, anyone who started at 55% ultimately has been voted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think that that projects very well for Altuve, who now has already put a bow around the prime portion of the career of a, of a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, he's had about five seasons that you'd say were great and then two, three others that were outstanding. Um, so, you know, if he tacks on another year or two that you'd say were great and the, the true great seasons, 17, 18 and 22, uh, with multiple other really good seasons. But then as Altuve blows past 2000 hits this year and then 2,500, and if he's playing and he's getting toward 3000, uh, he gets to where he becomes a no brainer hall of fame selection. Yeah, I think that helps Altuve if Beltron gets in. Then, then you have a precedent for something like that, and you see that this person was involved in it. They got in. Should be the same deal for Altuve if the numbers are there at the end of the day. So, yeah, we should all be rooting for Beltron to get in because this could be really good news for Altuve, and especially as all the baseball writers kind of know about Altuve. They they know that he didn't really use it and that he wouldn't. He didn't want to do anything to tell on his teammates. He didn't want to betray them. So he even asked that articles not be written about him not participating. He doesn't really want to talk about it. He's a stand-up dude, and I think a lot of the baseball writers, especially after they've won this championship again, you saw Altuve return to have one of the best seasons of his career this year. I, I think Altuve has a good shot. And if they ultimately both get in, now, Beltran could make it as soon as, as next year. Uh, Billy Wagner is making the big jump necessary that I think now tips it in the direction that with two years of eligibility remaining, Billy Wagner is probably going to be voted into the Hall of Fame. Uh, the straw vote has him at 73%. Generally, you get a lower percentage of the vote from those who do not disclose their vote, just the historical tracking of this stuff. But Wags got to 51%. Last year, first time he was on the plus side of 50. So if he jumps from 50 all the way to 65, 68, 70% with two more years, um, I, I think that gives Wagner the shot to make the, the big leap from a guy who started at 11% uh, of the vote to uh, become one of the few relief pitchers in the Hall of Fame and the first left-handed relief pitcher. Right? He's sixth all-time in saves, the only lefty with more saves. Former Astro, washed up John Franco, actually finished his career with the with the Astros. Uh, he's not a Hall of Famer, uh, but Billy Wagner has some numbers that are blow away numbers. He was no Mariano Rivera, 
but purely by the numbers, Billy Wagner looks eye to eye and actually can look down just a little bit. Uh, career whip, um, uh, strikeouts per nine innings. Uh, so without getting the call that Billy Wagner, we'd like to welcome you to Cooperstown. You've been elected to the baseball hall of fame. Short of that tomorrow, I think a big day for Billy Wagner positioning him to get that call in 2024. If it goes down to the wire, 2025, that'd be really cool. I hope he gets in because, you know, when we have Baggy and Biggio as an Astros fan, it'd be great to have another Astro in the hall of fame. I, I know Wagner played for several different teams, but he played most of his career in Houston. So, I would imagine he would go in and as an yeah. Astro. So that would be very exciting for me as an Astros fan. Yeah. And I just want to circle back to the, the sign stealing scam. I mean, obviously I'd, I'd love for Billy Wagner to get in. He's was uh, one of the guys, I mean, as Astros fans growing up, I, one of the guys I loved watching play, you know, I do want to get back to the, the sign stealing scandal for just a moment because, you know, when, when in referencing what Nightingale talked about, I mean, you know, who did and didn't stop it behind the scenes. And it's so hard to say that when you look at Reddick, when Reddick came over from the Dodgers, he said they were using a system like that. When Beltran, the, the famous quote from the report was when Beltran arrived in Houston, he said, you guys are behind in your sign stealing. So there was enough evidence just externally that the problem of sign stealing was pervasive. As Nightingale said, this was, these were tactics and going back a hundred years, there was even Tony LaRussa was, there was anecdotal uh, stories about LaRussa using someone in the outfield with binoculars who was flipping a sign on and off to relay the signals in real time. There is every reason to believe it's, it was pervasive. Is that an excuse? No, that's it's not an excuse. They shouldn't have done it. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a, it certainly is a black mark on their 2017 world series. I think that mark is much more in perspective when national columnists are honest about how pervasive it was. It's, it's a different level of peer pressure and rationalization when you have players from multiple teams that are coming over into one team that can validate. Yes. Other teams are using similar systems. Well, they won the world series in the year in question. Right. So that's yeah. going to rankle people right. that much more from from anger to jealousy to, geez, why wasn't our system this good? I'm also a big believer, unless it's truly negatively impacting your life, making you physically ill, uh, people like to be angry. People yeah. like to be outraged, rage against the machine, uh, pettiness, anyone. I mean, it's it's it, there should be. Unless it's something just absolutely vile and disgusting, there should be a statute of limitations on outrage. It's also about the stuff that's not true. All the John Boy buzzer garbage and, you know, editing that film to where it looks like Altuve ran straight to the dugout after, you know, the, the home run off of Chapman. When he was really running around celebrating with his teammates for two or three minutes, they just edited the video and everybody believed it. People still believe they're buzzers. So, there's a lot of stuff. All the, I mean, we live in a time of conspiracy theories and people bought in just completely on this one. So I think that's why it's as bad as it is, too, because there's so much misinformation out there. That brings us to our bottom line question of the day. And we talked about a, uh, a Brown perhaps joining the Astros. There is a Brown that is will be joining the Astros Hall of Fame, Bill Brown, along with another famous Bill, Bill Doran which I'm a fan of both of those guys. What are your memories of either Bill Brown or Bill Dorn? 
I will start with Bill Brown and saying I don't think of him as a cool story guy. I think Bill <laughs> Brown is straight-laced, tremendously professional, as egoless, egoless as anyone I've ever met in this business, uh, always allowed and enabled his uh, color man to flourish, both in the Larry Durker era and then uh, the partnership he had for years with Jim Deshays. Um, just a great human being and a rock-solid quality broadcaster. Uh, Bill Doran, I only got here for the very end of his Astros playing career. Uh, a couple quick thoughts on uh, Billy D. Um, probably, well, maybe probably is a little aggressive. Uh, the best defensive second baseman the Astros have ever had. Um, Bidge won multiple gold gloves. Altuve's won one. Uh, but at least several people that I know have covered that team in that era would, at bare minimum, put Doran up with either. And the way gold gloves sometimes work, if you don't hit well enough, it's going to cost you a gold glove, which is stupid. It's purely a fielding reward. But to invert the point, Ken Caminetti was probably deserving or a gold glove of a gold glove or two. His first go round with the Astros never won one because he was never a premium hitter. So he went out of San Diego. I mean, he was juiced out of his mind, but won an MVP award and also won gold glove to go with, with MVP. Uh, Bill Doran, uh, the guts of his career were in the 80s when Ryan Sandberg monopolized the National League Gold Glove Award for second baseman. Uh, Ryan Sandberg exploded as a hitter, became the MVP. He was a very good second baseman, uh, but he was also overrated. And the advanced analytics, you know, when you backtrack it to the 80s, made all the plays he was supposed to. Some suggested there were plays he wouldn't try to make because it would risk errors on throws and so forth. I don't know about that. Uh, but Bill Doran was just a, a rock-steady, dependable player for the better part of a decade. And those I know who covered him said, what a, what a great guy to cover, uh, honest on a day-in, day-out basis. Uh, just one, one quick anecdote. I was, I was here for not necessarily the bitter end. He had a bounce-back season the following year and then got traded to the Reds. But this is 1989. Had a, I guess, typical first half of the season. And then he went into a, a mother of slumps uh, after the All-Star break that year. So we're talking about a better part of three months. He wound up hitting 131 for three months. It's tough to be that bad for that long and keep your job on an everyday basis. Uh, and Bill Doran's line, paraphrasing all these years later, was that I am so bleeped up right now. I am so bad. Other hitters, uh, they're right in saying, I'm not in a slump. I'm in a Doran. <laughs> uh, self-deprecating humor. I'm a fan. Uh, and it was not the end for Bill Dorn. He bounced back the following year, then got traded to his hometown Reds and went off for them. Unfortunately, got hurt, couldn't play for them in their World Series run of 1990, but but has a, a ring for it. So uh, Bill Dorn and Bill Brown, both, here it comes, fill the bill of merits to become Astros Hall of Famers. Yeah, I think back to to Bill Brown a lot. I'd love those broadcasts that Charlie mentioned with Jim Deshays. That those were some of my favorites. I I didn't think it could get any better than that at the time, and and now here we are. And I I think the broadcast team now is just as good, if not better. So we've been spoiled as Astros fans. But I thought it was funny. Bill Brown was interviewed about this, and he didn't see this coming. He said Biggio was the one that kind of threw his name in the ring here to be considered, and and he's you know, just so flattered and, and excited that he gets to be a part of this. And how cool is it to have Biggio, you know, bring up your name and, 
and and now he's going into the Astros Hall of Fame. So uh, congratulations to both of those guys. Hey, Bill Brown has emceed the ceremonies since the Astros uh, established this in maybe 2019. So uh, it'll be fun. I presume they won't have him induct himself or introduce himself. So uh, uh, I imagine Todd Callis will get tapped for that gig. I hold Bill Brown up as one of those voices that's iconic with Houston sports. I when you know when I think of announcing famous Houston sports games. I think of guys like Gene Peterson, Jim Foley, uh, Calvin Murphy, when he was doing play-by-play. Um, the gentleman who was his partner that names escaped me. He just retired from the Rockets. Charlie. Bill Worrell. Yeah. Bill Worrell, uh, who also couldn't be a nicer dude. Uh, and so when I think of Bill Brown, I, and, and I think of, you know, Deshays as well as guys who are just iconic in their roles as being voices of Houston sports and for Bill Doran as an adult, one of my prized possessions is a game used signed Bill Doran bat, which he uh, signed for me at, I think it was at a spring training. I think it was at red spring spring training. As a matter of fact, even as an adult, I Bill Doran holds a, a, a fond place in my heart. I'm glad that both those guys are being recognized and being inducted into the Astros hall of fame. I forgot to do this drop, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. So it's kind of out of context, but I don't really care. It's just one of my favorite drops. Uh, so again, Charlie, Josh, thank you so much. Uh, everyone who uh, watched the show live, thank you so much. For Josh, Charlie, I'm Brandon, signing out. Go Astros!